And uh, this week we finished talking about that um, we can't be comfortable, that uh, there's something about this faith that we have that uh, just kind of changes it up. And, and as you're kind of looking a little bit, as Allison alluded about, why are things differently today? I mean, my wife even comes in and says, where's my seat? I mean, you know, uh, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to demonstrate something today that, you know, Jesus uh, shook it up. Um, he did things that were out of the ordinary. And, and when we think about that we're supposed to follow Jesus and we wanna love like Jesus and be like Jesus and live like Jesus, we know that we can't just kinda like be complacent. We can't just be sedentary. We can't just be like uh, on a log and, and just wait for those things. But we're gonna learn a little bit today about um, some, some fantastic things. And I'll clue you in a little bit about what these tables mean. Um, let me just say this too, that um, when I was uh, playing football, uh, my senior year, we kind of had a mediocre year. Uh, but the years before that, we had a, a stellar team and went to uh, bowl games and things like that in high school. And so my senior year, I had all these hopes and goals that, that we would do great. But like I said, we, we probably played, uh, uh, you know, 500 ball, one half, lost the other half. And, uh, but I remember that, that our stadium was always filled every week. On Friday nights, it was like packed. And it was packed, and, and, and there was like no room to move around. But, but what I noticed that year was the excitement level started going down because we didn't win as many games. And what I started also noticing was that, that even though the stadium was packed, that people came and filled the stadium, but they weren't really interested in the game. They were like, you know, buying hot dogs and eating, you know, uh, donuts and barbecue tent and all that. And they were just kind of socializing and things. And, and, and it got us really frustrated as players. And uh, I tell you what, you know, you get all that testosterone on the field and nobody's watching and cheering you on. It doesn't do very good. And uh, so Coach Williams was our head coach. And, and he said, you know, I need a couple of you guys to think out of the box. And we've got to figure out a way that we can get our fans engaged on Friday nights that blows this stadium out and raises the lid and that everybody's excited about what's happening, almost as if they're on the field playing with you. So a couple of my buddies, you know, uh, Jeff and Randy and, and Bill and Susie, uh, we, we kind of sat around and we thought, what can we do, what can we do, what can we do? And we started looking at uh, successful football teams, so Tampa wasn't something we were looking at that time, but, but we, were, we were like looking at other successful football teams and uh, we, we kind of honed in on the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris and Jack Lambert days and Mike Webster and all, anybody from Pittsburgh, any F Pittsburgh fans out there? There's one in the very back. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, so, so we thought we've got, to, we've got to do something. And what I love about the Steelers was they had the knack. Let's look, 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 look at what they had here. This is a Steeler game. Look at this. Isn't that exciting? You, know, you see what they're, 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 they're like alive. You see what they're waving? Does anybody know what they're waving? A terrible towel. Tara's back there going, terrible towel. They raised a terrible towel. So we thought, man, we've got to like do something with this. And we started finding out it was copyrighted, service marked, and all that stuff. So we couldn't do that. So we said, well, what's the next best thing? Okay, you can turn, you can turn the music off, or the fans off now. Yeah, listen to me, listen to me, not that, but no, no, just kidding. So, so we said, what can we do? So we had our own little, we had our own idea. We came up, not with a terrible towel, wait for it. We came up with the wicked washcloth. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I wish I had one. I, you know, years ago, I think we had one in a move. I'm like, look at this. I still have it. I mean, it was like this big. It was white, and it had like uh, red uh, stenciled or uh, whatever that was called where you paint on it, and um, silk screen, yeah. And it said wicked washcloth. And let me tell you what, nothing gets a team excited when all the fans stand up and whip out their wicked washcloths from their front pockets. Let me tell you. And they started, yay, go team. And so, so, so anyway, so, so what is it that engages us? What is it that gets us in the game? What is it that, that makes us um, be the kind of people that are high octane, high energy, excited about loving and serving God, but more importantly about sharing the love of Jesus with everyone? And, I, and I, I'm gonna here to tell you today that it, it all happens with a towel just like this one. This one used to be Duke Blue. It's a little faded now. But, um, but anyway, so it happened with a towel. And, and Jesus used the towel to change the world. In fact, a towel was used to change the world in many respects. Here's, here's the first one. When Jesus was arrested, he was brought before Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman procurator, and Pilate was the one who had it in his hands and his authority to either say Jesus would live or Jesus would die. And if we recall the, the gospel stories, we, we remind, we're reminded that that scene comes and, and Jesus is brought in on those trumped up charges, and, and he is being told, or they're telling Pilate that Jesus Jesus is going to lead an insurrection against Rome and that the Jews are going to overthrow Rome and, and kick the emperor out and all of that. And the people in Rome were just, uh, you know, really inflamed about that. And the leaders of the Judaism portions that didn't like Jesus because he was shaking it up, they also got behind those charges. And they bring Jesus before Pilate, and this is where Pilate looks at him, and Pilate uses a towel, not as an instrument of power or of passion, he uses it as an instrument of saying, I don't care. And he washes his hands, and he dries them, and he throws it down, and he basically just says this, I'm not gonna have this guy's blood on my hands, I'm not gonna deal with it. So that's one example of a towel. The example I wanna take to you this morning is, when Jesus walked into a room and he undresses and he has a towel and he does something remarkable in that moment that he's with his friends. Here's what John has to say. John says that, that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a, a towel around his waist. Somebody say towel. And after that, he, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now I want you to imagine for a second, um, you know, we, we have a lot of hygiene standards in our nation and things like that. And, and, and I know folks that take, you know, three or four baths a day. If you're out in the yard, you're, you get all sweaty, you come in, you, you bathe, you change clothes and all that. These guys in the first century, they'd walk around for days in the in same clothes without them ever being washed, undergarments never being changed. And their feet were just packed, packed with the clay of the roads of the day. And you can imagine that they come into this room and it's, it's dinner time and it was tradition before dinner you'd wash your hands and a slave who was inside of the home of the host would come and wash your feet. Now, think about it. How many of you would wanna touch nappy feet like that? You wouldn't. You'd probably go like, where's the rubber gloves? Uh, you know, let's spray something on them, let's do this, let's do that. But, but Jesus is, is symbolizing something really powerful here. Two things. He's symbolizing the fact that he's dealing with a very messy, dirty situation, 
And he's also pointing out that serving is not beneath any of us. And lastly, we're to follow his example. So let's see what John, John pulls it out some more here. He says, when Jesus finished washing their feet, uh, he put his, clothes in, put his clothes back on and he returned to his place. It's important to know that the place that Jesus returned at the table was the head of the table. Jesus was the host. And in, and in a tradition of Palestine in this day, the host would never have been caught dead doing what Jesus did. They would have had a slave wash everybody's feet. But Jesus, who's the host, he washes it. Listen to this. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. And, and now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now listen to this. He says, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. So it's not like he's saying, thou shalt always wash each other's feet. What he's saying is, look what I've done for you. You know who, you know what you call me. You call me Lord, you call me master, you call me teacher. You know that I'm the Messiah and look what I've done for you. I've washed your feet. He says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than the one who sent him. And now, and, and now that you know these things, you will be blessed because of that. I mean, that's powerful. Now that we know that we are to serve, that's not the blessing. The blessing is not just knowing it. The blessing is when we do serve. And when we give of ourselves, and when we serve someone else, and when we do it because out of love and out of respect and out of desire, but more importantly because of our love of God and wanting to be Jesus in the world and in our homes and in our churches and our communities and our schools, we do it for that and we get a blessing. But, but I think we gotta go back and, and really look at the, the, the significance here. If, if we were just gonna name it and just say, okay, let's just name it. I don't know many people who would willing to take that job. I don't know many people who would be willing to say, okay, if I brought down a basin of water right now in a pitcher and I poured it, said, okay, who would like to start washing each somebody's feet? I'd probably have a room that'd be like, out the door, right? Everybody would be gone. And I think that's kind of where we are. I think deep down, most of us are saying to ourselves, I would love to serve God. I, I wanna have a heart of servanthood. I know this example in John 13 that Jesus demonstrates this powerful opportunity. I wanna be like Jesus, but deep down, we wrestle with that. And we start saying, but there's a cost. It's gonna cost me emotionally. It's gonna cost me financially. It's gonna cost me whatever, relationally, if I, if I serve. And most of us, unfortunately, are gonna take the position that if we were to just be honest for a second, and let's do that, most of us would rather be served than serve somebody else. We get more joy out of someone else serving us. We get more joy out of waiters and waitresses waiting on us and bringing us our food. And then we get irritated when they're like two minutes late. And we wanna make a big deal about that. We would rather be served, but Jesus says we've got to build a heart because when we learn how to serve others, when we learn how to serve others and when we actually serve others, we are emulating God in the world. We are being Jesus with skin on with those around us. John tells us something else that's important. And of all the things that Jesus could have done, this is the last night of his life, the last night. So think about it, if you knew that you had one night yet to live and then life is gonna be over, what would you do with that night? 
You know, some people would probably throw the biggest party that they've ever had in their entire life. Other people would go out and just spend their entire fortune to buy that one thing that was like the thing that they just had to have. Look, I finally did that. Others would start, you know, looking at their bucket list. Oh, I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and I've gotta pull all that stuff in. But what did Jesus do? Jesus chose to focus on his friends. He brought him in a room, he disrobed, he took out a towel, and he washed their feet. The last night of his life, Jesus chose to do that. I have a Sunday school teacher years ago who, who said this about serving life. She said, she said Bob, I, I, I don't care what you accomplish in life. That's what she said. I don't care what you accomplish in life. She then went on to say, you'll never find happiness unless you lose your life in service. That was the only Sunday school teacher I ever had a relationship with, and that was the only one that ever made a difference in my life. And that's what she told me. She said, you'll never find happiness unless you lose your life in service. And God backs that up as, as, as the teacher, and God, God says that the fullness of servanthood comes in the life of Jesus. How many of you remember Sir Isaac Newton? Anybody know Sir Isaac Newton personally? No? Okay. All right. Um, well, I had to read about him. He was a little bit before my time. And um, I read about him in a, in a high school uh, science book. And that's back, you know, when, when we actually had books. I know, that's bad. You know, books, and um, it was just shortly after they used to just kind of put it on the cave wall. But, so they made books. And, and the picture that I had of Newton was that he was sitting uh, down below an apple tree and, a, and an apple was falling on his head. And that was how I got introduced to gravity, that gravity is the nature's pull that, that constantly pulls down. But, but Newton also is responsible for another uh, scientific piece, and that's called the theory of inertia. Do you know what inertia is? Inertia says that if something is standing still, it will stay still, but if something is moving, it'll continue to move until something abruptly makes it go in a different direction or stop. And, and I think that's what Jesus is demonstrating in his servanthood. Jesus is saying, don't be complacent with the life of being served, but change it up and, and let inertia take a hold of your life and, and be the kind of person that is moving constantly into serving others and, and, and make sure that, that you are doing that for all the right reasons. But what it also says is that those of us who are choosing for whatever reason not to serve, for those of us who are choosing for whatever reason not to engage in ministry in the church, for those of us who are choosing for whatever reason to engage, whether it's time or, or we don't think we're good enough or whatever, whatever we're convincing ourselves why we can't do it, what it's also saying is we need to get off of our blessed assurances and we need to get involved and we need to engage as Jesus is engaging. And I think that, that is, that's a huge part of what happened here. And, and this is why I say Jesus shook it up. Because Peter, Peter, it's always, always a problem with Peter. But, but Jesus and Peter, and, and uh, you know, gosh, he must have, obviously he loved Peter with everything, but he had to have been annoyed with Peter on so many occasions. And Peter sees this happening, and, and I know what it is. I, I, did, I know I figured this out. Peter was embarrassed that Jesus did something that Peter should have done first, okay? He sees Jesus starting to undress, going like, no, please, please don't tell me he's gonna do that. Please, please don't tell me he's gonna do that. Oh, no, oh, he's gonna wash our feet. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, now he's gonna get me. He's gonna say, Peter, why didn't you think of this? I've been teaching you all this. I mean, you know Peter's having a therapy session right then and there, and he's just trying to figure it out. 
And he gets angry at Jesus and he says, you will not touch my feet. You will not wash any part of me. And Jesus says, Peter, unless I wash you, you're not gonna get it and you're not gonna be part of the kingdom's purpose. And that's when Peter finally, he just like, didn't wash my whole body. But this exchange is going back and forth and back and forth. And then Jesus looks at Peter in the eye and he says, Peter, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you're going to understand. And Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. Then Jesus opens his eyes and he shows him the greatness that will come because of this. In this story of foot washing, Peter learns one other thing. And when we serve, when we, when we are towel bearers, when we, when we hold the towel of Christ and serve, we represent Jesus in the world. We don't serve to get the light on us. We serve to let the light shine on others. And that's the light of Jesus Christ. The writer of he, or Matthew, I'm sorry, records Jesus by saying, let your light shine before men, before women, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And Peter realizes that the greater truth is in servanthood. And that's why it's important for us to remember that, that serving brings fulfillment. It brings fulfillment in God's promise of reward. So imagine this, um, an, an omniscient God, an all-knowing God is aware of all of the things that we have accomplished in his name. That God sees how we have humbled ourselves in ways of service. And even though others may not recognize or see it, God does. And believe it or not, you may not know that how you serve today, you may not see, you may go home and say like, you know, God, why have you asked me to do this and why am I doing this? I just don't see anything good coming out of it. We may not know until generations of how our serving God brought Jesus into the life of others. So it's, it's, it's the light of Christ that we see. The writer of Hebrews says that God is not unjust, that God will, will not forget your work and the, and the love that you've shown God as you have helped God's people and you continue to help him. You see, our serving others is, is unselfish. Not long ago that um, when our serving others also lets others see Jesus. Not long ago, we got a, a, an email here at the church, and, and uh, somebody sent an email in, and, and Laurel uh, Fortuna, our senior director of uh, music and worship arts, she brings it to me. She says, you've got to read this. And, and here's somebody who says, I drive by your campus all the time, and most of the times when I drive by, I see out on the church lawn a little lady who looks to be uh, up in her years, on her hands and knees. She's got a little dog. She's got it tied up and she's on her hands and knees pulling weeds out of your gardens. That's Mary Williams. Mary attends our first service. And Mary didn't know that until this morning when I pointed it out. And this lady said that when I see that person doing that at your church, it tells me something about what God's doing in your life and what God's doing in her you know, Mark Miller right here. Mark, uh, he doesn't know I'm gonna point him out. I mean, he's been connected with our youth ministry for over 18 years. I mean, what drives Mark to do that? It's his love, it's his self-surrender, it's his, it's his um, you know, desire to serve God and, and, and love our students. You know, we have people that have been singing in our choir for over 20 years and, and people that have been helping in other ways of ushering. John Hamilton, our, our lead usher, has been ushering for probably 20 plus years here. But you know, 
There's also people like Chris Dugan. Chris is working with our tech team. There's Chris right back here. Turn around, there's Chris right there on the camera. Chris is one of our newest tech folks. Uh, he's probably just a couple of months into this. So you see, God, God constantly is wooing us to serve him, to love him. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. This is why we've turned the sanctuary upside down, because Jesus turned that room upside down that night when he pulled that towel out. And if we're gonna follow Jesus, then we just, we gotta get radical. So let me tell you what this is. This is an opportunity for all of you to do something incredible. Our largest way of reaching people every week is in Sunday morning worship. Through our two services, through our, um, through our uh, live streaming, the stuff that we do through our website with people also coming back, looking at message and all. So, so what we've done is we've, we've put a representation of all the needs and ways in which you can serve God on Sunday mornings. The ultimate beautiful thing would be that, that you would serve maybe at nine and then worship at 10.30, or if you're a, a 10.30 worshiper or, or nine o'clock worshiper, you'd worship at nine and serve at 10.30. That's really what we'd love to see. Some of you have said, but you know, I'm only here for a couple of months out of the year. Yeah, you know, I'm a winter guest. You know what, you can serve while you're here. Don't, don't let that stop you. But in order for us to, to bring the gospel every week, it takes servants. 